You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Stephen Yi. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with all of you. Uh, so thankful that, that you can be here with us. And uh, we're thankful to all of you who are joining us online. Uh, we continue to, to remodel our sanctuary and some of our facilities here. Looking forward to the day when those renovations are complete and we can see everybody face to face. But uh, again, uh, what a blessing it is uh, to be together this morning. And so um, before we get into our sermon, our message uh, today, I want to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father God, we praise you. You are the creator, you're all-powerful, you are sovereign, and God, you have a plan, and God, you plan for us. You've given us life, you've saved us through your one and only son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. God, we now have eternal life with you by your grace, through faith in your son. We have hope, we have joy, we have peace. God, we thank you for that. I thank you for this beautiful morning. I thank you for those that are able to make it here in person on our campus. I thank you for those who are joining us online. And God, I pray that as we study your word, your Holy Spirit would stir in our hearts. God, that you would lead us to respond to your word, that you would lead us uh, to obedience, that you would lead us to faithfulness, that you would lead us, God, to, to go out and tell the world the good news that we have because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so God, thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. God, your goodness is on display each and every day in every way. Thank you, God. And uh, thank you again for this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. How many of you in your home or wherever you live, in your apartment, uh, in your, your condo, how many of you have a piece of artwork or some Christian-themed decoration in your house or place where you live? Let's see, any hands raised? A Christian-themed piece of decoration. Okay, a lot of us do. Okay, some of us have jewelry, whether it's a cross or whatever it may be. But, uh, uh, and yes, in my home, we have many pieces of decoration and artwork whether it's scripture verses posted up or some pictures um, that are, are Christian theme, that uh, we have many of them. But I wanna, want you to take a look at this picture here. And maybe it's hard to see, okay, but here's one of those pieces of artwork or, or decorations that is Christian themed. Obviously, you can see the word grace there. Um, but uh, what you may not be able to see is that it's cracked. It's broken, and uh, my wife told me about this story. I'm not going to share the whole story, uh, but really just give you a short summary. So a woman was shopping at the store, and she, she brought this, this piece of decoration up to the, the cashier to pay for it, to buy it, and to check out. And so when the, when the woman puts this piece onto the, uh, the counter there to, to pay for it and, and uh, take it home, uh, the cashier says to her, um, let me get you a new one. This one's broken. <laughs> Nobody wants this one. All right? And, and, 
There are some other details in the story, but basically the woman, <laughs> there's kind of a pause there, right? And the woman just politely says, no, I want this one. And the reason, I mean, it's obvious, right? This, this picture has the word grace on it. And yet when you think about God's grace, God's grace is God's blessing, God's provision that we don't deserve, but yet he pours it out upon us, yet he gives it to us. That is what grace is. It's getting something that you don't deserve. And yet how appropriate is it that this piece of artwork that talks about grace is broken? Because when you think about it, God's grace is on full display through his son, Jesus Christ, who did what for us? Died for us. He shed his blood. He paid the price for a people who were broken because of sin. And he has made us new. He's given us eternal life. And so I think about this. I, I heard the story. She sent it to me. I looked at this piece of artwork and I said, man, all of them should be broken. <laughs> it's better because it's broken. And see, this woman recognized this. She recognized the goodness of God when she remembered God's grace. So clearly depicted in this piece of artwork. And so that, that brings us to the message this morning. It brings us to this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65. And as we study this passage this morning, I pray, we, those of you that are here, those of you that are online, you can download the outline. Those of you who are here, you can pull it out of the bulletin and follow along, take notes, just make some drawings, do some scribbling. But uh, as we look and study Isaiah chapter 65, I pray that we will see God's glorious goodness and grace that is, it's always on display. God's glorious goodness and grace are always on display. And we're going to see that as we study Isaiah chapter 65. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Isaiah 65. We're not going to read the whole thing before we study it, but we'll study it uh, segment by segment, starting with verse 1. And see, the first point the first encouragement, the first proof of God's goodness that we see here in Isaiah chapter 65 is this. God wants you even when you don't want Him. God wants you even when you don't want Him. And see, we see this because we think back, we've been studying the book of Isaiah for many, many weeks, and we see that in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is the prophet. Isaiah is a messenger from God, giving the people of Israel a message. And really the message is, God loves you and God is good. He is gracious and merciful. You guys have turned away from him and have rebelled, and yet God is calling you to repent, to turn back to him and trust him once again, to make him your Lord. And see that, you see that all throughout the book of Isaiah. And so here in, in chapter 65, we continue to see the sin of God's pe chosen people, and yet God's mercy, His grace, and His goodness on full display. And so right here in verse number 1, look at what, what it says. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am. Here am I. Here am I, here am I. God wants you 
even when you do not want Him. You see, when you look at verse 1, just this one verse, God shows us His amazing grace. See, God took the initiative. God took the initiative to reveal Himself and draw from the Gentiles uh, this, a yearning to seek Him and find Him. And you think about God revealing Himself, right? First, He revealed Himself to, to the nation of Israel, right? His very own beloved and chosen people. And yet, what did they do? They rejected Him. And because of that rejection, the good news and God Himself was made available to who? Gentiles, meaning those who are not Jewish. That means you and me, unless we have a Jewish friend, brother and sister here. We're all Gentiles. And see, here's the thing about God. If God did not allow Himself to be found and sought after, then we would never be able to seek Him and we would never be able to find Him. How many of you this morning, how many of you listening today, hearing my voice, how many of you can say that you want God? How many of you this morning, or those of you sitting here today, how many of you know that God wants you today? But here's the stark reality. The reality is that most people don't want God. Right? We know that. We look at the percentages. We look at the statistics. Most of our world today, they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the reality of our time. People do not want God. And do you know why? Well, it's because apart from Jesus Christ, apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ, our spirit is dead. Our hearts are broken because of sin. And when our hearts are bent towards sin, what do we do? We naturally turn away from God. We naturally rebel against Him. That's why we see so much craziness in our world today. Does anybody, has anyone ever been golfing here? Zero people. Okay, three people. Four people. Okay, uh, in my college years, long time ago, I did a lot of golfing. Because during the summertime is when school was out, right? And that's when a lot of golf courses would have cheaper rates. And so, for $6, I could golf as many holes as I wanted. And I would walk. <laughs> and you can imagine, right, how hot it is today. As many of you are fanning yourselves in this 75-degree room, uh, how, what it would be like to walk 36 holes of golf in the 110-degree heat. But we did so, my friends and I, because we enjoyed it. <laughs> but here's the thing. Those of you who have ever tried to hit a golf ball and succeeded in making contact, you know that that's one of the best feelings in the world, to make contact with a golf ball soundly with your golf club. But it's also, golf is one of the most frustrating things in this world because it is so difficult. The goal of golf is to do what? You hit this little ball and you try to get it in the hole. <laughs> okay, That's the basic premise uh, of golf. But here's the thing, and so with, with golf, right, there's a, as people design golf courses, they determine how many shots it should take you on average to, to get that ball in the hole, and that's what they call par, right? So par for the hole is it should take you three shots or four shots or five shots to get it in that hole. Uh, and um, so when I golf, though, which is very rare, okay, I, in college I golfed a lot because it was so cheap and I had time. 
but I rarely golf now. But when I do golf, I set my ball on the tee. I get ready in position. Don't look at my form, okay? I wind up. I swing the golf club like a baseball bat. But I make contact. The ball launches into the air. It goes far because I swung so hard. But here's the problem. It doesn't go where I want it to. When I hit the golf ball, it goes this way, it goes that way. I want it to go straight towards the hole, but it goes over there and it goes over there. I'm horrible at golf. I miss the target every single time. Well, unless you give me about 100 shots, then I can get it there eventually. But here's the thing. When I think about my golf game, I think about sin. I think about how as sinners we all miss the mark and how apart from God we will always miss the mark. And see, this is like the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has chosen to rebel against God. They've chosen to worship false idols, false gods. They're missing the mark day after day, moment after moment. And yet here God is. And what does he say? He says, I revealed myself to a people that weren't even looking for me to begin with. That's because you, my chosen people, have stopped looking for me. And here I am, here am I, here am I, I'm standing here waiting for you to come back to me. You see, sin means that we've missed the mark completely. And see, when we're apart from God, pride, apathy, and rebellion are pretty much par for the life that we live. When we're rejecting God and we're putting everything else above Him. This was the sin. This was the heart of the nation of Israel. This is the heart that Isaiah is addressing here in chapter 65. The people that God loves want nothing to do with Him. So some of you here this morning, some of you listening online, you might feel like God wants nothing to do with you. You might feel like you've sinned too much. You might feel like you're nothing special because of all your faults and all your failures. You might even feel today like God doesn't care about you. Maybe you feel like God even hates you. You might feel like God's mad at you or that He's ignoring you. But I want you to know those are all lies. Look at this passage. Look at the Word of God. Do you see His heart in just this one verse? He says, I am right here waiting for you. Here am I, here am I, says the God of all creation, the author and perfecter of your faith. God says, here am I. You see, Israel was worshiping made-up gods. They didn't want anything to do with the one and only true living God. And yet when we read this passage in just this one verse, we see that God is so good. He's standing there and he says, I love you. I've sent my son, the Savior, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And God calls us. He said, if you just come to me and trust me as your Lord, he says, I will forgive you. I will save you. I welcome you with open arms. And see, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, never forget that God wants you. God wants you. But the question for us is, that we need to answer is, do you want God? 
It's not a question if God wants you. He does. He planned for you to be with Him, to know Him, to trust Him, to follow Him. And yet the question is, do you want God today? See, in verse 9, look, it, oh, it, I think it reminds me of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. God wants all of us. You can be forgiven. You can be set free. There is nobody beyond the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ. There is no sin that is unforgivable. Well, I shouldn't say that. I should say there's one sin. That's if you truly reject God before you leave this earth. And then God, in that case, He will give you what you have chosen. If you don't want Him, then you will, you will be separated from Him for the rest of forever. But God wants all of you. God's desire, His heart, is that nobody be unsaved. God is so good. Look with me now at verses 2 through 7. Read with me just silently as I read out loud. Verses 2 through 7 of, of Isaiah chapter 65. All day long I have held out my hands, to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, keep away. Don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. See, it stands written before me. I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps. Both your sins and the sins of your ancestors, says the Lord, because they burned sacrifices on the mountains and defied me on the hills. I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. So we find here, in this section, another example of the glorious goodness of God. And that's because, and that brings us to our second point. God's will, or God will always deal with, with your sin. God will always deal with your sin. We need to understand that sin is serious. And God will always deal with it. Look at the sin of Israel. God says, all day long I hold out my hands to an obstinate, which means stubborn, prideful, unrepentant people. Because what did they do? We can make a whole laundry list, right? But you see it clearly here in this, in this passage. They followed their own faulty ways. They worshipped false gods. They worshipped in graveyards. They worshipped the dead. They did all of these pagan practices. They disobeyed God's laws. They disobeyed God. And yet on top of that, they took pride in their disobedience. And you saw that as we read that, right? They would even say to other people, Whoa, I am more holy than you. Look at what I do in uh, worshiping these false gods. I am more sacred than you. Get out of my face. They didn't say get out of my face. But you know what I mean. This list of sin, can, we could keep going on and on. But did you know, did you know that our God is good? Did you know that our God is perfectly loving? Did you also know that God is perfectly just? And there is no way that God could be perfectly loving and perfectly just if He just let sin go all the time, right? If we think about a judge here, all right, in our world today, 
A judge wouldn't be good if they never, if they never upheld the law, right? What would you say about a judge who never upheld the law? They're a horrible judge and shouldn't be a judge in the first place. Well, see, God, not only is he perfectly loving, but he's perfectly just. And he is the perfect judge. And he cannot let sin go. See, there are always consequences for sin. And and we've talked about that before. There's always a penalty. There's always a price that has to be paid. And here we see that God had had enough. He had had enough of his people's rebellion. He loved them, but it pained him so deeply that his very own people would reject him day after day. And so what does he do? Look at verses 6 and 7. He will deal with their sin. I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will repay them fully. I will reward them fully for their former deeds. And what is God talking about? He's talking about their sin. You know, um, when I used to work out a long time ago, <laughs> I, I befriended this one guy at the gym, okay? And uh, I know that was a long time ago, as you can tell. But uh, he had some knowledge about God. He believed that, that there is a God, but he had very little knowledge about God's Word, okay? So really didn't know much of anything about God's Word. And, and so he had been sharing with me some of his struggles, and, and I had been kind of counseling him, trying to encourage him, and I, I even invited him to church. And, and I remember this. I'll never forget this, okay? Because when I invited him to church, I said, hey, you should come. You know, I might be, I'm preaching next week, okay? And, and I, you know, you can get to know God's Word more and, and uh, be encouraged. There might be some things that we talk about that might be helpful for you in your situation, but come, come join us. And it's not too far from here, from our gym. And uh, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Steve, I can't come to church with you. I've done so many bad things. And if I walked into, if I stepped foot in your church, in the church, not your church, he didn't say your church. If I step foot into church, God will kill me. I wanted to kind of laugh just like you guys did. I'm like, what? That's crazy. God's not going to kill you if you step into the church building. Okay? If anything, I mean, I did share with him. I got to share with him the gospel. God loves you. God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you and forgive you of your sin. Are you crazy? No, I didn't say that. Are you crazy? I just said, that couldn't be further from the truth. God doesn't want to strike you dead because you step foot in a building. God wants you to come. You see, I used to, I think about that still today. And this was years ago, right? Because I haven't worked out in years. And so uh, I used to think back and, and feel bad for this guy, right? And, and just think about all the ways that his thinking is messed up and wrong and how inaccurate of a view that he had about God, that God would strike him down if he stepped foot in this church building. But it wasn't until recently <laughs> that I realized that God was teaching me something and reminding me of something through this story. And I've shared this story before, but the takeaway was always, no, that's not who God is. Look at who God is, right? He forgives us. He loves us. He offers us hope. But it wasn't until recently that I looked back at that story and I realized that sometimes I need to take sin more seriously and as seriously as my friend did. Sometimes I'm guilty of taking sin too lightly. 
Far too often at various times in my life, I've ignored the devastation and the horrificness of sin. And yet I'm reminded by this uneducated guy, uneducated in the sense that in God's word he's uneducated, this non-Christian who doesn't even trust Jesus Christ or follow him, I'm reminded by this person about the ultimate penalty for sin. And you know what the ultimate penalty for sin is? Well, if we know and we look at God's word, we know that the penalty, right, of sin is death. Death. Sin kills. Sin destroys. Sin tears apart. And God is telling his people that he has had enough of their rebellion and he will deal with their sin right now. And when we look at the next section, we'll see God's punishment being given. We'll see the consequences of their sin on full display. And now, when we read God's word, we have to remember everything that we know about God. God had made a covenant with his people, right? He was going to bless them, and they were going to be a blessing to the whole world. And so, really, that blessing, the way that the, the nation of Israel was going to be a blessing to the whole world, is that Jesus was going to be born. The Savior of the world was going to come and to be with us here on earth and to sacrifice his life as a payment for our sin debt to redeem us and save us. See, God has a plan, and he's working it out. And see, even through the destruction and the, the devastation of the consequences that God was going to pour out on them, he would still sustain a small group of his people. But if, if God always deals with our sin, it's important for us to think about how does God deal with our sin today? How does God deal with our sin? We see here, when we look at this passage, He allows us to suffer the destruction of our poor choices oftentimes, right? We need to understand that sin always has consequences. Whether we see the consequences immediately, whether we see the consequences down the road, or whether it hurts us, directly or whether it hurts the people around us. Sin always has consequences. So one way God deal, deals with our sin is that He allows us to suffer the destruction of, the, of our consequences, of our poor choices, of our rebellion against Him. Secondly, God deals with our sin by disciplining us. He will teach us. He will allow us to go through the consequences. He will allow us to go through the suffering of our poor choices, but with a purpose to help us to learn from it, and to turn back to Him, to repent, to acknowledge our sin, to turn to Him, to receive His forgiveness, and move forward. And yet, how else does God deal with our sin? We also must know that God deals with our sin by delivering us. And that's when we come to Him and we put our trust in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. If we want to conquer sin, the sin that so easily entangles us and tears us down and rips our relationships apart. If we want to overcome sin, we need to trust and submit to Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He is the only hope for our world today because He paid it all. He went to the cross over 2,000 years ago. He died on that cross. He was put in the tomb and He rose from the dead on the third day. And it's because He is alive that we are alive in Him, by grace, through faith. You see, 
Not only do we have eternal life and are we forgiven through faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but God continues to deal with our broken, sinful bodies and our broken, sinful minds today. Not only does God give us a hope for the future, but He gives us help for today because we have His Holy Spirit in us, giving us strength, giving us power, giving us the, all that we need to overcome temptation, to overcome sin, to live a life that is righteous and pure and pleasing to Him. We're not alone when we are in Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? Our God is so good. And so, dear friend, I ask you, what about you? How is God dealing with your sin today? How is God dealing with your sin today? And no matter what way He's dealing with your sin, whether it's experiencing the destructiveness of the consequences of sin, whether God is disciplining you right now, this very moment, or whether God desires today to deliver you from the bondage of sin, our response should be the same. Our response should be to acknowledge that sin, to turn from that sin, and turn to God in faith. Trust Him, knowing that He is good. When we look at this chapter and we continue, we continue and we look at verses 8 through 16, we'll see this third point here. We see that God shows us the difference between blessing and curses. We see that God shows us the difference between blessings and curses. Let me read this section for you in verses 18 through 16. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and people say, don't destroy it, there is still a blessing in it. So will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them. And there will my servants live. Sharon will become a pasture for flocks and the valley of Achor, a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. But as for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. You will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. The sovereign Lord will put you to death. But to his servants, he will give another name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God, for the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. So what do we see here in this section? God takes this opportunity to show a distinction between those who are blessed and those who are cursed. He gives this analogy, right, of a cluster of grapes. 
It still has some good grapes in it, right? Good grapes that are, are good for juice and to be eaten. What is he going to do? He's going to spare the whole cluster so that he may pick out the good ones. For these few grapes, what do they represent? They represent God's goodness. They represent God's faithfulness to his word, to the covenant that he made with his people, that he will not utterly wipe them out, but he will sustain a group of them because through them, he's going to bless the whole world, ultimately through his son, Jesus. So we see exactly how God will bless those who trust him and exactly how God will curse those who reject him. Look at verses 13 through 16. Right? We can see just a list uh, being, being communicated here. God promises to multiply the good. God promises to destroy the evil. God chooses to provide peace and a promised land for the good. And God also promises extreme suffering for the evil. Have you ever thought about the difference that faith makes in your life? Have you ever thought about the difference that faith makes? And see, when we, we think about that question, we think about what difference faith makes in our life, we have to think about this truth of blessings and curses because each of us feel the effects of sin every day, don't we? We look around, and I don't think we have to look too far to recognize the destruction of sin. I don't even think we have to look too far outside of our own life to recognize and be reminded of the destructiveness of sin. We see brokenness all around, right? We see devaluation of life. We see disregard for our neighbors. We see the degrading of the family that God has designed. We see the distortion of God's word. And we see the distancing that people are making from the truth. Just like you all, I'm tempted in so many different ways each and every day. But faith, faith is the difference between experiencing the blessing of God and the curse of God. You see, here's what happens, right? When we entertain temptation and then we choose to sin, what are we really choosing? We're choosing the curse of sin. We're choosing the destruction of sin, the hurt and the pain of sin. Even though we think it's going to satisfy us, it never does. And we're settling for the hurt. We're settling for for the, the separation and the destruction that it, that it makes. But here's the good news, right? The blessing of God, the blessing of faith in Jesus Christ means that even though we face temptation, we have God's Holy Spirit in us that gives us all that we need to stand up under temptation and to choose to do what is good, what is right, and what is helpful and what is pleasing in the eyes of God. We have a helper. His name is Jesus. We have a helper, God's Holy Spirit in us. And that's only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And here, right, I, I want to share with you the most horrific and yet the most glorious truth about blessings and curses. When we choose to trust Jesus Christ our, as our Lord and Savior, we obtain the blessed assurance of what? Eternal life with Him. And not only that, we have his help now. Not only do we have the hope uh, of eternal life with him, but we have his help now. But here's the horrific part of that truth. When we ultimately reject God, we choose what? Eternal death. 
and separation from Him. And without God helping us now, we choose to go through life suffering through the emptiness and the pain of sin at every turn. You see, the biggest difference between Christians and non-Christians is this. Christians have hope for a future and help for today. And yet, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And there is no help for today. Dear church, dear friend, what do you choose? Are you choosing blessings or are you choosing curses? Are you choosing faith or are you choosing folly? Because I'm reminded of verse 1. God is still here. He's standing here with arms open wide saying, here I am. Here I am. Will you choose me? Will you come to me? And lastly, we, gotta, we look at this last section. We look at verses 17 through 25, and we're going to see this. This last point here for our message today is that God is working out His plan, and the best is yet to come. God is working out His plan through all of this craziness, through all of this sin, and yet the best is yet to come. Look at verses 17 through 25. I want to read these for you. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who live, lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy all of my, on my holy mountain, says the Lord. You see, the best is yet to come. And see, one other point that I, that I wanted to, to touch on in, that, in the previous passage that we were talking about, I, I think this is really an important word for us because when we're thinking about following God, we're thinking about trusting Jesus, we're talking about this new life that we have, I, I look at that one, passage, that one verse where it, where it talks about some of the false gods that they were worshiping. And did you see the two names of those specific false gods that they were worshiping? The one was called, it starts with an F, Fortune. And the second was called, named, starts with a D, Destiny. How many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us have, ever, have said this week at some point, oh, that was unfortunate. Oh, I was very fortunate. Or you are very fortunate. Don't raise your hand. I know many of you have used that word. I want to ask you, dear church, dear friends, let's stop using the word fortunate. Because there was a time 
in history where people worshipped false gods named fortune and destiny. And fortunate, it means just what we think it means, just as it's defined nowadays. Good fortune, good luck. How many of you have ever said good luck this week? Don't raise your hand. I will tell you this, there's no such thing as luck. Especially if we know and believe God's word and we know that God is in control. God in being in control means that he is actually in control. And there is nothing that happens by, by chance. Let's use our words to help people know the truth. And see, we may think it's insignificant, but our words are powerful. So when I say something like, oh, that's very unfortunate what happened to you, I'm taking the focus kind of off God and saying, oh, that was just some crazy thing that happened that we have no idea what's going on. Instead of saying, I am so sorry that you went through that. But I, I want you to know that God loves you and that God is in control. And he has a plan. Right? Not just good luck. Good luck on that thing that you have coming up. No. God bless you. I will pray that God helps you to get through that or to do that or to accomplish that. I will pray that he will give you strength and the ability, like oftentimes we say, good luck on your test for our students. I mean, I don't say that anymore. <laughs> but I say, God bless you. I will pray for you that God is able to, to help you recall all that you've studied, that you can have a clear mind and apply all that you learned to that test that you have to take. Let's stop using words that really contribute to the sin of this world. Sorry, that was a side note. We're going to finish up right now, all right? You look at this last section. You see that the best is yet to come. You see, we, hear, we see this talk, right? God is saying, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. What does that remind you of? Do we see that anywhere else? We think of the book of Revelation. We think of the end times. And there's a lot of debate. This, this passage here is a little confusing because there scholars debate. Is this talking about? The same thing as Revelation when God says, I'm going to make everything new? Or, or is this something, a different time period that's, that's going to take place? And, and so, but the main point is this. It's not to know exactly the time that, that God is referring to here. The point is this. God is in control and he is going to make things better when he comes and when he wills at his perfect time and according to his perfect plan. Because here's the reality, right? Everything's broken because of sin, but God is coming, Jesus is coming, and he's going to make things better for those that trust him, for those that choose him. See, some of you guys, dear church, some of you may be struggling with something today. Some of you may feel that you just can't handle it, and I, and I, want, to, I want you to know that you're right, you can't handle it. You can't handle it by yourself. But I want you to know that you aren't by yourself when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. When you choose to trust God, God is with you. You are with Him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will give you everything that you need to get through whatever it is you're going through today. And not only that, but you can look forward to the future because you know, because of what God has said, there will be a day where He will come and He will make all things new. The best is yet to come. That's part of the hope that we have as Christians, as followers of Jesus. The best is yet to come. Our life today, no matter how joyous, no matter how celebratory, whatever things we experience here on earth pale in comparison to what is to come when we see Jesus face to face. And he makes all things new. So dear friend, dear brother and sister, what do you choose? 
Do you know? Will you trust that God is good? Will you trust that He loves you perfectly and that He desires so deeply for you to come to Him today and every day to trust Him and follow Him all the way to heaven? You see, that's the encouragement that we see here. Right? And beyond the shadow of a doubt, after everything that was just said in this message, I want you to know that God is good. His glorious goodness and grace are on display each and every day. Let's trust Him and let's follow Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank You so much for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. God, I pray, God, that we would never settle for sin. That we would never settle for the destructiveness and garbage uh, of sin. We know that sin only destroys and never satisfies. And so, God, I pray that we would choose you. We would choose you, the only one that satisfies. That we would put our faith in you, that we would acknowledge our sin, that we would repent and turn from it and turn back to you and acknowledge you, Jesus, as our Lord, our Savior. And God, I pray that as we do that right now, as we say, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus, I trust you. I want you, you, I want you to be my Lord and I want to follow you all the way to heaven. As we say that in our hearts and with our lips, we can know today that we have been forgiven, that we have a hope for the future, and that we have help today because you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And no one and nothing could ever separate us from your love. And so, God, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your glorious goodness. We see it on display with the nation of Israel, your chosen people, and we see it all throughout history, and we experience your grace and your goodness even today. So, God, I pray that we would trust you and that we would also take every opportunity to tell everyone that we meet that you are so good. And until we see you face to face, God, May we look forward to the ultimate day where we will experience, when we will experience your goodness perfectly, when we see you face to face. And until that day comes, may we keep going, keep trusting, knowing that you are so good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you now, as our worship team leads us in our closing song, just to respond to God and to stand and sing with us. Thank you. Please stand. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to the other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcasts.